some years ago, I was looking at some people who were not smarter than me killing it out there, and and some people uh, that are way smarter than me just failing. And like, what's the difference here? And uh, if all things being equal, if nobody is like obviously richer. What else is going on here? And can you actually win by just making better strategic moves on the market? Building winter, that's exactly where this fits in. It just helps you craft better strategy because you, you get data on things that you didn't get data on before. Hey, it's Dan McGaw here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack consulting firm, McGaw.io. Each week, I speak with executives to find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, Pep Laha, CEO of Winter. Winter's a B2B SaaS company that provides qualitative customer feedback to improve their clients' messaging. They're in the early bootstrap phase now, being only a year or so old, but as we'll hear from Pep, he's got big ambitions for the company and plans to 3X his revenue this year, and in 10 years, become a $100 million company. Pep's founded two other companies and has loads of experience. First was Spiro, his extremely successful conversion rate optimization agency. And next was CXL.com, an e-learning platform for marketers. They have great resources for technical marketers. And my course on how to build a modern tech stack can be purchased at CXL.com. What I love about Pep is how he keeps his eye on the prize. He is focused more on the strategy he'll need to grow the company than what tools he has in his stack. Pep's got a lightweight stack, and he's clever about how he uses tools to generate insights about his customers. Here's my conversation with Pep. So my name is Pep, Pep Lyle. I'm an entrepreneur, founder of three currently existing companies, CXL eLearning. Then we'll have Spira, which is an experimentation program management agency. And Winter, a B2B SaaS company. Help me understand what is Winter, because uh, fantastic platform, but what is Winter to you? Winter is a platform for B2B SaaS companies to find out two things. One is, what is their ICP, the person they're trying to sell to? What is that person thinking about the problems you can solve for them? What are um, their top pains, desired gains, jobs to be done? That's one. And two is, how is what we're currently sending out to the uh, market on our website, in our ads, emails, how is it landing on the target recipient, on the ICP? Are they like, oh my God, this is so interesting? Or they are, are, are they rolling their eyes on you and saying, what, you know, what is this crap? Well, I mean, I think a lot of times with messaging, many times people are rolling their eyes. So I, is that like the primary problem that winners trying to solve is making sure that people have the right messaging? Is that the, the primary problem? That's the primary use case is to get help you get to better messaging that is resonating better with the ICP. So it's more relevant, more interesting, more compelling, gets people uh, um, want to take a demo with you or whatever the CTA might be. That's the key use case, whether we do other stuff as well with you, buyer journey walkthrough. So if I'm, a, I'm your ICP walking through your marketing funnel, what is my experience like? What's it like as, as a video format? Call it user testing for a funnel. We also do preference testing, you versus you know, your top two competitors. And we show it to your ICPs like, and have them choose which one would they rather get a demo with. Or you know, buyer surveys where you survey the target market about their problems. So you can do a bunch of stuff with it. Uh, in the end, it's a competitive strategy tool or so. It helps you, you know, compete and win on the market. 
you've always been super focused on strategy. I mean, I remember last time I was in Austin talking to you and you were reading Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Uh, you turned me on to that book. I mean, that's what you're like all about is getting strategy right. I got interested in, in it some years ago. I was looking at some people who are not smarter than me killing it out there and, and some people uh, that are way smarter than me just failing and like, What's the difference here? And uh, if all things being equal, if nobody is like obviously richer, what else is going on here? And can you actually win by just making better strategic moves on the market? Mm-hmm. Building winter, that's exactly where this fits in. It just helps you craft better strategy because you, you get data on things that you didn't get data on before. Or at least the feedback loops used to be really, really slow. And with winter, this is like 24-hour loops now. What is your big ambition with winter? Like, what are your big, hairy, audacious goals? Well, if you look at where SaaS is going, you know, it's already massive, obviously, but it's growing at a rapid pace. It's going to be bigger than a trillion dollar market any day now. However, what is also happening is that, you know, where there's money, there's players. The competition is getting more intense in all these markets. And when five years ago, 10 years ago, it was easy to compete and win just by having a better product or you were one of the two options available. Today, it's, uh, the case is that everybody has a great product, and there's 100 direct competitors, depending on the market you're in. Like If you're email marketing, there's 500 direct competitors. If you're CRM, 500 direct competitors. The old strategy of let's have the best possible product and win is just no longer viable. Yes, you still need a good product, but it's just the ticket to the playground. You know, to win the game, you need to win on other things on top of the product. So that's where you know, your strategy, your messaging, positioning, your, your narratives, your brand, and all these things come into play. And so it's getting increasingly harder to sell SaaS. Marketing is getting increasingly harder. And so the problem that we are solving is getting more intense, and there's going to be increased demand and need for, for what we do. And so I think in a... In a 10-year perspective, winter is going to be you know, at least a $100 million company. Many businesses and economies have suffered over the past few years due to the pandemic. While the SaaS industry has been thriving, 2020 has been a painful year for many businesses, but not all of them. Some tech-focused startups have managed to break into unicorn territory despite this pandemic. Just look at the three largest publicly traded SaaS companies, Adobe, Salesforce, and Shopify. All three experienced massive growth during the pandemic. Shopify alone grew 225%. The huge shift to remote work during the pandemic has been a huge driver for the adoption of SaaS businesses. Every organization out there is using SaaS solutions and the SaaS market is growing at a rate of 18% per year. As Pep looks to grab a piece of that pie, how do you win in such an enormous and saturated market? Furthermore, organizations looking to choose the right SaaS solutions to drive revenue have it hard given all the options to choose from. Something I'll keep emphasizing is that it's important to know what your needs are and get tools for that. Don't try to adopt every single piece of software out there. We'll hear more from Pep about making sure you really know your ideal customer profile and communicate to them effectively and why winners got a unique place in the SaaS marketplace. 
you luckily have given yourself a, a goal, but you've actually given yourself a time, which you can tell you pay attention to strategy because most people give themselves a goal, but they don't give themselves a smart time, right? And I think 100 million, 10 years is a fair thing. I'm tired of seeing companies that are like, we're going to be at 100 million in 16 months. It's like, no, that's just not how this works. So I'm happy to hear at least you got a big, hairy, audacious goal. When you think about hitting that goal, right? What does success look like in a year or maybe even five years, which is going to set you up for getting to that 100 million goal? What does success next year look like? Well, we just ended the year one. So 2021 was year one. And so we're bootstrapped right now, and we did like half a mil in revenue. This year, we're looking to triple the revenue. And so if you look at SaaS growth benchmarks, and of course, these benchmarks are all for venture-funded companies, it's kind of like this triple, triple, double, double thing if you want to be the, in the top quartile or the top 10%. So it's like the, in, the, in the first two years, you triple uh, year over year and then you double. So those are the kind of benchmarks that I'm going with. Uh, obviously, I'm monitoring my, my growth all the time. We're at very early stages. I mean, we have a lot to do. Like my, The product is already very good, but my vision is up here. So we have a lot of product to build. Second thing that's happening is what we sell, I wouldn't call it a category creation, even though I mean in, it fits the classic definition, but we're like the only ones doing what we're doing. So we're completely new in the market. There is no pre-existing demand. So the, the market is not solution aware. So we need to create a lot of awareness that we exist and we need to open the eyes that, hey, these problems that you have over there, this is how you solve it. And so then they start looking at their problems with new eyes. So there's a lot of market education to be done here. So And we're early to market. So I want to say, if we fast forward to 2025, the idea that you need to optimize your messaging and positioning and you need to have a narrative and you need to measure that and be constantly checking in with the target audience How's it going and is it resonating? That's going to be a normal thing to do today. Very few companies are doing that. So by the time the market catches up, where it's like, holy shit, everybody in the mother needs this, we're ready by that time our product is mature. You know, our marketing and sales are more mature than they are now. So right now we're, you know, we're like 15 people company right now. That's still a good size, right? 15 people. I mean, at least you're able to throw a pizza party at this point, right? A virtual one, yeah. It sounds like, um, you know, I heard one of the things from Patrick Campbell, who was talking a little bit about how they need to educate the market for people to understand how to use their tool and the value. And it sounds like you're very much following a, a card out of that playbook. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So to become a, a media company for your niche, that's really the playbook that I'm executing as well. Uh, of course, I'm doing what my current resources allow me to do. So number one asset, marketing asset the company has is me. And so there's the, everybody knows what is influencer marketing. And so I'm doing influencer marketing where the influencer is me. And so number one thing I'm doing is I'm trying to increase my influence. I have a podcast. Uh, you see me on social every day. And that, what I'm doing personally, is generating 80% of the pipeline, uh, qualified demos. That's just me doing social uh, and being out there. And I want to do. I want to go all in and do more of it. We have a monthly, or now we're switching it to uh, every other month, uh, virtual event called Winter Games. Uh, as a top of the funnel, uh, raise awareness that we exist. Play. Uh, I want to keep that going. It's going great. So we get, depending on the lineup and the topic, five hundred to two thousand people to register to uh, every event, which for us is great numbers. 
I'm looking to launch a new web show that is you know talking about the topics that we solve. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be hosting it. I'll just get some help on the pre-production side because that's where most of the heavy lifting happens. And then I want to do you know basically one piece at a time as I'm growing my my team and I have you know more re- more people that can help me do things, increase the amount of content and the media output we do. Now, for those of you who don't know, when we mentioned Patrick Campbell, we're talking about the CEO and founder of ProfitWell, a popular SaaS analytics platform. ProfitWell took their media game to the next level when they created Recur, a video network dedicated to producing content on SaaS topics and businesses. Recur saw that traditional media companies like Bloomberg, The Skim, and Morning Brew were driving great traffic, while software companies are great at monetizing that traffic. Or to try to put it even more simply, the software companies are better at turning traffic into money. Well, what Pep is doing is a media play just on a smaller scale. Everything he's doing is leveraging his personal brand. It is his own insights, it's his own expertise, and ultimately it's his thoughts on the market that are driving people to winner. He's doing this through his podcast, How to Win, and using a lot of social media, for instance. You should really check out Pep on Twitter and LinkedIn. When doing a media play like Pep, you're working on building trust and brand awareness without ever mentioning the sales side of things. This means you have to provide real insights that engage your audience. It's a lot of work. In Pep's case, he focuses on the qualitative lead generation because he's small. But in 10 years, when he's reached that $100 million goal, it's not realistic to expect that he's still going to have a personal connection with every single one of his customers. Now back to Pep to hear more about his media play. So you brought up these different uh, strategies and ways that you're going to do it. So you brought up a media engine that you're going to do. You're going to do SEO and content, play the ad- advertising direct response game and increase the product. You know, Going back to the, the media engine and all this content, what are the main KPIs that you're going to use to know whether that's effective this year or in the years to come? Right now, the way I'm measuring my content effectiveness is a lead source. So if there's a demo meeting... Hey, by the way, how'd you hear about Winter? Oh, I, I think I saw it on LinkedIn. So it's qualitative. Uh, I don't have a fancy marketing attribution report to pull out. And if you look at the people who are producing content that scale, whether it's uh, you know Chris Walker at uh, Refine Labs, I mean, nobody has cracked a nut on that. So I think this qualitative uh, source check is, uh, is going to still have its place for quite a while. And right now, I mean, our volume is not huge, right? Uh, most of the deals we close are these annual enterprise contracts. And I know every single client we have by heart. You know, that's the volume we're at right now. Soon that's going to change. But right right now, this attribution game is, is not too complicated. Now, are you trying to use any type of impressions, views, number of comments per post to understand what content is working best or not? It sounds like you're doing this in a qualitative manner, not a scientific manner, which is okay. I, I, I follow the same strategy. But is, it, is there anything else on top of it to know what's working? For sure. I mean, the, on social, like this number of engagement, let's call it, it's an indicator of which topic resonates. And I don't necessarily follow that every time because sometimes it's like, I know this is not as popular, but you guys need to hear this. It's my point of view. So I'm bringing my point of view that I believe to the market. So I'm not pandering to the masses and sharing, you know, marketing memes that might get a lot of shits and giggles and likes, you know. 
So that's uh, that's also a factor here. But I, I think to your point about scientific marketing, the quant stuff and measuring precisely this or that becomes more important as you get bigger. In the early stages, and I'm very early in the game, this is year two, you know, qualitative feedback is, is king. And of course, fast feedback loops and reacting to it and also uh, you know, in taking, making bets. Any content strategy, and you know this, is like, I'm producing content today and I'm going to reap most of its benefit three years from now, not like tomorrow. Yeah. Now, are you using any type of CRM or any type of way to track your deals and understand like, hey, this lead source uh, is driving more big deals or little deals? Like, is there any tracking in there at all? Sure. I mean, for our sales side, we use HubSpot. And then for our marketing automation and support, currently we're using Intercom. That's really our tech stack right now is the Intercom and HubSpot. What about measurement though, right? You, you're tracking your, your revenue, but what is that in? I use ProfitWell to to measure my like subscription metrics and stuff. Yeah, and so the the primary way that you're measuring, right? When you think about understanding if you're going to get that 1.5 million, is probably coming out of ProfitWell, and that's giving you a real measurement of understand what's going on there. Right. So I'm measuring where's the money coming from. So I see, okay, you know, like most of my money is annual annual deals. This is coming from through sales. They go through sales. There's a like a demo process in between. So I, in order to, you know, you double down on what's working. And so I need more of that. I do have a self-serve component. This as is self-serve. You can sign up and just pay as you go. And that revenue is growing too. It's just that, you know, the numbers are, are smaller. So it's like somebody paying you a thousand bucks versus paying, you know, 15,000 bucks. So I'm measuring that. Uh, and obviously I'm, I'm measuring um, retention stuff uh, and who's churning. And if they are churning, what's the problem? And so I'm seeing also clear patterns about like who should be my ICP, and also in terms of close rates. So who are the companies we can close easily? Where they're like at the end of the meeting, they're like, okay, where do I sign? Let me get the procurement process going. Versus, yeah, we need to think about it. And so we can see clear patterns that if you're a small business, well, I'd say I should say if you're under 10 million in revenue, it's not really a fit. I know you're going to churn because it's too expensive for you. Now, when you think about like that top of funnel where they're scheduling the demo, are they scheduling that demo through a, a product or just a form on the website? So on the on the homepage and some other pages, there's like get a demo button. When they click on it, we ask them for their revenue bracket. If it's under 10 million, we send them to self-serve demo, which is like a bunch of videos that we recorded. Because we know it's it's not a good fit customer. Because we wasted so much time on demos, pitching companies that have no money. And so once you're 10 million plus, we route you to a calendar link, you schedule a meeting. So that's kind of how it happened. And then also in, there's a step in between where we're now blocking all Gmails and Yahoos and stuff like that for the same reason that bullshit demos got scheduled, taking up valuable time slots on calendar, whereas real prospects, like qualified prospects, couldn't pick a time that they wanted because it was, times were booked. And then maybe, you know, they were frustrated because everybody wants everything now. And so those Gmails and Yahoos, again, 99.9% is bullshit, like unqualified um, people who are too lazy to sign up for the self serve version. They just want answers. It's weird. And I, I, we ran an analysis like every self serve customer that re- uh, signed up for the app, which email domain did they use and how many are using like Gmails and stuff? And it's basically like nobody. 
if you're paying money, you know, you're you're using a corporate account because also, you know, it's a B two B product. It's not cheap, so it's not an impulse purchase. You know. Yeah. Now, when you talk about you're blocking Gmail, right? Like, are you blocking that using the form? Like, you can't even enter a Gmail, or does it get like rerouted if it's a Gmail? We'll we'll give you an error message saying it needs to be a you know corporate email address. Yeah, I love it. Now, is this like a custom form builder, or is this like are you using a product there? We're using Webflow, so our whole front end website is built on Webflow, so it's a Webflow form thing. So this type of strategy might come as a shock to the less seasoned entrepreneur out there. Pep is blocking potential buyers from even meeting with him. And you might say, but don't you want to invite paying customers in and cater to their every need? No, you're wrong. And that's exactly how you don't do it. Pep has honed in on his ideal customer profile and knows that a corporate email address versus a non-corporate email address is a differentiator between a high value customer and a low value customer. And as you might imagine, low-value customers eat up a ton of time and energy, and for what it's worth, they usually fail to convert. All that being said, I like what Pep is doing with his strategy of blocking people who aren't in his ICP. What I maybe don't like is him spinning up Webflow. I'm not a big fan of Webflow, and I've had some bad experiences working with the software. Simply put, there's not enough developers and designers who know how to build on it, and the platform is still only half-baked. So let's get back to Pep. So if somebody's self-service, when you think about the communication that you're doing with these folks through marketing automation or tracking them, is there any type of lead scoring or nurture sequence outside of that one email you talked about? Or is it just pretty vanilla in the short term? There is no lead scoring happening yet. There is a like a drip sequence, but it's generic, not segmented, you know. So it's a you know your your typical time based every two days you get an email it's product education like this is what you can do here's a testimonial things like that and when I look at the performance on those and I measure performance by they received an email and then within two days they launched a test a pay test they're getting conversions uh, so it's working to an extent even though you know I've been in marketing long enough where I remember what drip sequences used to do 10 years ago. So compared to what it used to be like, I say I, um, it's abysmally bad. Uh, it's still you know, generating some, so it's still worth doing. Now you say you send this nurture sequence and then you look to see if they ran a test. How are you measuring that in HubSpot? And how's the data of somebody running a test getting to HubSpot? It's in intercom. So every time they, they run a paid test, we fire an event into intercom. So that's attached to their intercom profile. And then Intercom is what's doing the nurture, not HubSpot. Correct. Yeah, we don't use marketing automation of HubSpot. Oh, we're on the free HubSpot. So it's like the free CRM. And this is really because HubSpot's too expensive, is one. And HubSpot's 90% off if you're venture-backed. And I intend to, at some point, take that route and take a venture investment in and unlock HubSpot at 90% off. So, you know, it's weird that they're punishing bootstrapped companies this way, which is hesit- makes me hesitate to pay for it. Because uh, I know I could get it at, nine, at a 90% discount uh, if I only had VC money. 
One one interesting thing, and you know, I know that you have multiple companies, so maybe you haven't had a big blunder yet at Winter. But when you think back in the last two years or so, what is the biggest fuck up you've made with the stack? Anything that you regret, or any big uh, email blast that had the wrong information? I deleted our HubSpot. Uh, this was like a couple of weeks ago. Because I had two HubSpot profiles and it's always bothered me that I have this empty one and the real one. And so I just wanted to delete it. And sure enough, I deleted the correct one with all our sales CRM history. In a moment of panic there. Uh, luckily, a quick live chat support session and HubSpot restored it. Uh, so kudos for them. I, I did freak out for a minute there. Yeah, no, I mean, that is the worst case of the worst case, uh, especially when they can't get the data back. So I'm happy to hear that you got the data back. Well, thanks very much for taking the time. This has been fantastic. And you're doing some really smart things. So I really appreciate you sharing all your learnings with us. And thanks for coming in today. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm Damaga, and you've been listening to The Stack, a podcast where we talk to executives building cool shit and learn about the tech stack that's making their revenue goals a reality. Here's some of the key things that really stand out to me about today's episode. Pep's business is small, and right now, qualitative is way more important to him than quantitative. However, Pep knows that this isn't always going to be the case. As he grows, this is going to be different. In terms of his stack, he's got HubSpot and Intercom at the core, and he's stringing up Webflow now to make iterating on the site even easier. He has ProfitWell for his financial metrics, and this is really all he needs at his stage. He's keeping it lean and recognizing that this is going to change as he grows. I do want to touch on that nightmare situation Pep shared. Here is a huge piece of advice to back up your shit and really think carefully before you hit that delete button. Pep got super lucky that HubSpot was able to recover all of his company data and prevented an absolute disaster. That's all for now, though. Join me each week, and we're going to hear executives uncover their stack that's driving their success. Because you're interested in this podcast, the next obvious step is to get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit. All you have to do is text THE STACK to 415-915-9011, or you can just visit buildcoolshit.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.